Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14 are our verses for tonight. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. The verses before us are the culmination of everything our Lord has been preaching about in his entire Sermon on the Mount. Here we have in plain, unadorned, bold, and commanding words the way of salvation. Jesus makes it clear to those in his immediate audience, as well as those who are listening down through the ages, that it would ever read or hear these words, that Christ is the only way to salvation. Hear our Lord as he speaks in Matthew 7 and verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and he's speaking of salvation, eternal life, and few there be that find it. Those in our Lord's audience, the immediate audience, were Jews, and the overwhelming number of them thought that because they were the physical of the physical descendants of Abraham, by virtue of that fact alone, that they were assured an entrance into heaven. But all throughout the scripture and all throughout the sermon, this message that our Lord is preaching, Jesus has dismantled that idea and made it indefensible. He has defined sin for them, that they thought that sin was simply doing or not doing a specific act. But he tells them that sin is first a matter of the heart, a rebellion or uh, delighting in something of the heart and mind that God forbids, not just a physical act or deed, back in chapter 5 and verses 27 through 28, and that the heart conceives sin because it is deceitful and sinful and desperately wicked above all things. And so all throughout this message, he has shown his hearers that true salvation is more than being from a certain race or aligning yourself with a certain religion. Those who are the true children of Abraham are those who have his faith, who have come to God by faith. They do his works and who are truly united to Christ. Romans 4 verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And then those not only must be uh, of faith, but those who do his works. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 39, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And again, they were throwing back to the fact that they were Jews, and because of that, they were God's people, and they would be in heaven. And so they said to Jesus, Abraham is our father. That was just a pat answer, that we're okay. And Jesus said unto them, if ye were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now seek you, to kill, you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. They called him Father Abraham, and Jesus is boldly saying, You're of your father the devil. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. This is one of those places in the scripture where they were questioning Jesus' birth. We're not, we were not born of fornication. What a stabbing, horrible thing to say to the sinless, virgin-born Son of God. We have one Father, even God. Can you imagine 
the rebellion, the sinfulness of the hearts. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, ye would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from the Father. Do you see how clearly the lines are drawn? I am God. I am the Son of God. If you knew God, if God were truly your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. And then we must come to him by faith. Galatians 3.29 says, If you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so we see in the, in the scripture, the seed of Abraham are those who have come to Christ by faith, not are physically born of a certain race. Even today, though, the majority of people on earth have the same mindset as those in Jesus' audience. I am acceptable to God, they reason, because I'm in the right religious group, or I'm not in the wrong religious group, or because I'm a good person, however you vaguely or broadly want to define that word, I am a good person, or because I do right things and deeds. And so goes the reasoning in the vast majority of people's hearts and minds. But again, Jesus dismantles all those conceptions and preconceived ideas and philosophies. He does it in this powerful statement, enter ye in at the straight gate. In fact, Jesus' words today go against the majority of what professing Christians believe. Most people on earth believe that most people will end up in heaven after all, in the end, because they go to church or because they are, again, good people. It goes absolutely against human and religious pride to be told that one is hopelessly flawed, cannot please God, cannot earn their way to heaven, and they must be saved in God's way and not man's ideas about it. You see, this is the age-old problem, isn't it? It goes all the way back to the first family, where Cain thought that he could be saved his way, just like his brother could be saved his way, and that God ought to be happy about it. But he was not. The lines are clearly drawn. A woman wrote this letter to a newspaper, and it sadly sums up what the majority, I would think, no pollster, but just from my limited perspective, what the majority of people think. Listen to what this woman wrote to the news, a newspaper. I believe she was, lived in New Zealand. And she writes, After hearing Dr. Billy Graham on the air, viewing him on television, and reading reports and letters concerning him and his mission, I am heartily sick of the type of religion that insists my soul and everyone else's needs saving, whatever that means. I have never felt that I was lost, nor do I feel that I daily wallow in the mire of sin, although repetitive preaching insists that I do. Give me a practical religion that teaches gentleness and tolerance, that acknowledges no barriers or color or creed, that remembers the aged and teaches children of goodness and not sin. If in order to save my soul, I must accept such a philosophy as I have recently heard preached. I prefer to remain forever damned. That's symptomatic of a person whose heart and mind has not been illumined by the Spirit of God. To hear those words, to read those words, sends a cold chill over the hearts of those whose hearts have been illumined to the truth that Jesus is the Savior. But you see, that is just a problem. There must be an illumination. 
There must be a, a, a showing from the Lord to that person's heart. 2 Corinthians 2.14 tells us, But the natural, the unsaved man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. That woman thought that that was foolish what she heard the evangelist preach. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. You see that hopeless hopelessness of a person whose heart and mind is not open, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Romans 8, verse 7, because the carnal mind, again, that lost, the unsaved mind, is enmity, is at war against God, for it is not subject unto the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But let me be very clear tonight on the authority of the Word of God and our Lord's message. Again, we're considering His words here. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Let me say this, for those who may be wondering, for those who the Lord's heart, the Lord may have stirred your heart, begin to show you these things. Any person who will come to Christ for salvation can come to Him. That's the glorious news. If you will come to Christ, He will save you. Jesus said in John six thirty six, But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Those who may be halting and wondering, will Christ cast me out? He promises, does he not? If you'll come to me, I will not cast you out. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. All one has to do to be saved is to come to Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He is salvation. He is the way. And I repeat, all one must do is come to Jesus Christ, responding to that gracious invitation, come unto me. The difference of opinion surrounding exactly what that means, though, is a big problem. There are those who define that, that entering in at the straight gate or coming to Jesus Christ in any manner of ways. Notice in our text that Jesus again says, enter. We emphasize the first word of the text. Enter ye. Very individual. He's speaking to individual hearts here. You must enter in at the straight gate. Now, he's giving directions here, isn't he? This is very clear. Those who were hearing him had no problem understanding what he said. Enter in the straight gate. He's giving eternal directions here. A map to heaven for the soul. We notice there that first word enter is in the imperative tense. It is a verb that is in the imperative tense which demands a specific and definite action. It is a verb that one cannot be neutral to. It is an alarming emergency kind of a word. Enter in at the straight gate. The forcefulness of the word. It's an imperative. And it demands action on the part of the hearer. It's not some gate. It's not just any gate or several gates. How specific the Lord makes this imperative. Enter in at the straight gate. The word straight there means narrow. We're not told to consider the gate or to admire the gate or to think about the gate or to appreciate the gate or to compare it with other gates or to feel good about the gate. 
It's so simple, a child can understand it. You tell a child to enter a door, enter in that door, it's very clear. He understands what you're saying. Enter in at the straight gate. Not only is it a command, but it is a personal command. You enter. This is very specific, isn't it? Very exact. There's no leeway here, no room for differences of opinion. And that's exactly what people want to do when you get to the narrow, narrow entrance to heaven. Oh, well, let's think about this. How can you be so sure? Who set you up to be uh, so, so definite about it? But we see here a very narrow decision, a very narrow way here. There's no op- difference of opinion here in our Lord's wording. The apostles will later declare with all authority in their preaching, for example, in Acts chapter 4, Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone, referring to Christ, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. You didn't want it, so you set him aside which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. You see how exclusive the apostles' preaching was, how narrow it was, how straight the gate was. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Well, the apostles believed in the Lord's command and his words here, and preached it throughout their preaching. Here Christ says, enter in at the straight gate. And Luke 13 verse 24 says, to strive to enter in at the gate. This is serious business, striving. This is not a a picture of lethargy or sentimentality or leisure. Striving defines what he means by entering in. This is an emergency of the soul. This is something that's very uh, uh, urgent. And because there are countless obstacles that bar the way to that gate. It is not that the gate has not been pointed out. Jesus says, I'm the gate. We'll see that in just a moment. He makes it clear who the gate is, what the gate is. But there's so many obstacles. What are some of the obstacles that stand in the way of a clear, clearly marked gate? The word there, strive, in the Greek means agonizimai which means to agonize. We get another English word from it, agonize. And it's used in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery or the prize of the the Olympic Games is temperate in all things. Striveth, agonizing. Strive to enter in at the gate. It's a picture of of an athlete at a race undergoing strict regimen and self-denial. Is translated in Colossians 4, verse 12, laboring fervently. And in 1 Timothy 6, 12, is fight. Putting all this together, we see that those who will come to Christ have to overcome many roadblocks. For some, in our Lord's immediate audience, religious teaching was blocking their way. The teaching of the rabbis, the gospel had been taught. Abraham knew it to be saved by faith. Rahab the harlot was saved. We could go back through the Old Testament, those who were saved. And their fathers, their, their, their rabbis and teachers and scribes had added to it and made a, a, 
a, a maze, if you will, a religious maze. And what did our Lord say to them? You, you put burdens that you can't even bear, let alone those that you're trying to proselytize. And so a big obstacle in many who are hearing this message right now is religious teaching that is contrary to the gospel. And so that that sieve or that strainer that all that goes through, that the gospel has to go through, is intermingled with false teaching and religious teaching that is contrary to the word of God. And then probably the biggest obstacle of all is the obstacle of pride. How how dare you to say that I'm wrong? How dare you to to say there's just one way so exclusive and that really goes against the grain of, of people's ideas this day and time. I'm okay. Was that not Cain's opinion? How dare you, and our Lord, the God so graciously said, Cain, if you'll submit, there is time, there is a sacrifice, and Cain would not. The obstacle of other people's opinions. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Do you see all these obstacles? We could list probably countless ones that stand. Those are some of the big ones. In Matthew 11, verse 12, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. What a peculiar statement. The kingdom of heaven allowing for violence and and the, the violent take it by force. The picture is of an army storming a city and besieging its walls with battering rams and, and tearing down its barred gates. Do you see the, the striving that goes on here for the soul and for the hearts of men? Some listening to me like the woman who wrote the letter to the newspaper that we read just a moment ago, you have strongholds of opinions that your professors have taught you and that you have brought over your study over the periods of years or listening to co-workers, false teaching, and and, uh, willful pride rise up in your hearts and your minds when you hear, enter in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction Few there be that find it. It reminds us of the verse, this striving and violently uh, suffering violence and the violent take it by force. Of 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, casting down imaginations. That's, that's uh, a casting over uh, board, if you will, the, in, a, in a storm to try to steady the ship. Or casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Jesus warned in Matthew 23, verse 13, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves. You see that same analogy, that same wording of going in through the gate. You won't go in yourselves, and neither will you allow them that are entering to go in. This gate must be entered. And because this is a clear command of Christ, we must understand what, uh, who the gate is and what is meant by entering it. Our Lord goes on in verse 14 to describe the gate as straight. We've already decide, defined that as narrow. It, it, there's no room for baggage. The individual must go through. We could describe that gate. I've heard it in so many different ways in preaching. It, it's almost like a turnstile. You've been at a at an entertainment place or a 
recreation place where you go through a turnstile and only one person at a time. And uh, you couldn't necessarily take rolling luggage or something to go through that turnstile. The, the way is so narrow. It's, it's just the soul of man can go through that, that gate. The gate is Jesus Christ. He declares himself to be the way, does he not? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh to the Father but by me. John 14, verse 6. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 10. And again, we we study the Scripture by comparing Scripture with Scripture. And our Lord says here in John 10, beginning there in verse 1, where He describes Himself as the door to heaven. Now, if He says, enter ye in at the straight gate, we must uh, define what that gate is. And here He does just that. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. And this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. And then to make it clear so they couldn't miss what he was saying, Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am that Old Testament name of God. I am that I am. You see what he's saying? He's God. He's putting himself on the same level of God. I am the door of the sheep. And so he makes it very clear what the gate is. Who is the door? Where is the way? I am the way. I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Oh, what a declaration. Here is the Son of God saying, I am not a door or one of many good doors that you could consider. I am the door, the one and only door by me if, you see the condition there, if any man will enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture in this picture of fellowship with the shepherd being led and guided by him. So the door, the way of salvation is clearly Jesus Christ. He is the gate, if you will. We're using these words interchangeably. We by birth and by nature are on a broad way. You did nothing to get on that wrong road except be born. And when you came into this world, you were born on a broad way where the masses are headlong rushing every day toward destruction. The hourglass of our lives are slipping by, and we're on that broad way by birth, headed for destruction. It's a broad boulevard of self-will and self-love and love of sin and a love of this world, and we're headed rushing, running toward destruction. This way that we're on appeals to our sense of pride. There are no obstacles on the broad way. Oh, it it seems as if we're, we're on the right way, Seems that everything is going our way. It's, it appeals to the sense of pride and feelings. But I warn you, the scripture says in Proverbs fourteen twelve, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof 
are the ways of death. That seem appeals to the senses. And the lost always are, are guided by their senses, how they feel, what they want, what they think. And uh, the sensual part of man, they're ruled and gu- uh, guided by this body. There's a narrow way because it is a, uh, the only way. It is a straight, strict gospel because it is the only gospel. There are no several ways. There's no several gospels. I read of a man from India who chose Islam. He did a study of Islam and Christianity, and he chose Islam after studying uh, the, the two because, and this is what he said, he wrote, Islam is a noble, broad path. There is room for a man and his sins on it. The way of Christ is too narrow, he said. There are three things involved, as I see in the text, and by comparing Scripture with Scripture, there are three things involved in entering Christ, if you will, entering through the door, the gate, which is Christ. First of all, we must agree, we must accept what he teaches about himself. In other words, we must agree that he is the door. No one would go through an exit, a fire exit, if they didn't think it was the way out. If we said this building was on fire... And this is the exit, the door to way out. If you were not convinced that that was a door or that it led to the outside, you would not take it. And so a person who is entering into Christ and entering in salvation must believe that that's true, that that is the way. In other words, he is the door, he is salvation, that he is God come to earth. Did he not say, I am that I am, I am the door, that God has come to earth. The second one of the Godhead, God the Son, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The triune Godhead and God the Son in the mystery of salvation from eternity past past was ordained to become the one who would come and live and die for us. He, as God, lived a perfect life, never sinning. Something so contrary to anything that we can imagine. He never sinned in any way, never violating the clear word of God. We must receive all of his word if true. There's no receiving Christ as salvation and doubting that he's, he's Messiah or that his word is not true or that the miracles he performed are not real. That's not saving faith. Saving faith receives all that Christ is and de- did. And all of his claims is genuine. When he says that we are hopelessly sinful and incorrigible without a work of grace, we take him at his word. No one can enter this gate while doubting that Christ is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. That He's done all that the Bible said he did and that he will save you if you come to him. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. And so there must be this mental assent, but not that alone. It's a mental assent that does something that enters. You see, the command is so clear. This believing then is entering. But there's a second element, not only agreeing or accepting the person of Jesus Christ, but entering the gate of Christ denotes repenting. Agreeing that you were headed and are or were headed in the wrong direction on the broad road and that you are sorry for it, that you're sorry that your sin is against God and that you turn to him and to the narrow road from that, that broad way. You see, it's a, di- a totally different direction that we're on. This whole analogy, the broad way, the broad gate. If that's not the right one, you've got to make a change, don't you? You must go a different direction and go through the narrow gate and be on the narrow road. 
It's an about face. Matthew 4, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. And it is said of John the Baptist, the forerunner who prepared the way of the Lord. How did he do that? How is it that John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he saw Jesus, remember, Jesus came to him. And Jesus, John the Baptist pointed to him and said, behold, see, look. There's the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And he owned him publicly. He, he commanded them who were followers, who said they were followers of Christ, to repent and confess their sins. And gladly, publicly, they followed his own example by being baptized. Charles Spurgeon said, you and your sins must separate, or you and your God will never come together. No one's sin may you, may you keep. They must all be given up. They must be brought out like the Canaanitish kings from the cave and hanged up before the sun. You must forsake them, abhor them, and ask the Lord to overcome them. Believing, accepting what the Scripture says about Christ, repenting of your sin of unbelief and self-righteousness, and that your ways have been contrary to God's ways. And then that entering also denotes and Admittedly, it's hard to see where one of these ends and another begins. We refer to all of this as that the part of uh, all of it is the, of salvation, but there must be surrender. We sing the song, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. In Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me, for whosoever will save his life, in other words, in his own way, his own way, his own religion, doing his own thing, who will try to save his life like that will lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's a rhetorical question, isn't it? What is the answer to that question? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? You know the answer. It's nothing. There's nothing a man can give in exchange for his soul. We must surrender the weapons of our warfare to King Jesus. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. When is that? That's now. You're alive. You hear the gospel message The message is going forth. The scripture always says, today is the day. Now is the time. When do I seek the Lord? When your heart is alarmed by your condition. When you hear the gospel message, you are commanded to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's also a condition, isn't it? There there will be a time where there will be no, we'll not be able to seek him. The offer of salvation is gracious and the door is open now. But like Noah's ark, the door did not stay open forever, did it? There came a day when God closed the door, and there will come a time when gospel preachers' ministries will be over. No more gospel will be preached. The Lamb Himself, the Lord Himself, the door Himself will be in our midst. And all opportunity for calling on the name of the Lord will be over So that's why we're always very urgent in our preaching. When you share the gospel with someone, you should urge them and plead with them to believe on Jesus Christ. Why? For one thing, they don't know if they'll make it through the night. 
or wake up in the morning or have another opportunity. Behold, now is the time. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. That word return shows repentance and about face. Return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Even in that warning, there's such gracious offers, such gifts of pardon and salvation for those who will come to the Lord. The fact that he commands us to enter in proves that that we're on the outside. You don't tell somebody who's all right or they're inside to enter. The the fact that he's telling them to enter in, they're outside. They need to go in. It proves that they're outside of Christ, outside of salvation, lost and helpless and on the wrong road. These were religious people. These were, in their own estimation, in the eyes of most people looking, good people. They knew the Bible. They served. They obeyed to, their, to some extent. Remember when Jesus told them, except your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, they about fell out. To them, they were the epitome of righteousness. And so... They knew the Bible. They thought they were already in. And to them, Jesus said, you need to enter in. To these, Christ said there in verse 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. The road, the broad road that you're on by birth outside of Christ is wide and broad. There's plenty of room for the masses that are on it. It's crowded with countless ones going their own rebellious way. But I warn you, it is a deceptive road because it doesn't tell you how it's going to end up. It doesn't tell you the destination because those on the broad road don't realize that they're headed for destruction. That word destruction there does not refer to extinction or annihilation, but it means a total loss. A total ruin. We see it several places in the scripture. It is not the complete loss of being or the cessation of self. It's not that kind of thing that some of the cults teach where the the soul is annihilated and they just cease to be. That's not what this word means, destruction. It means that it is the destination of all religions except the way of Jesus Christ. It is the destiny of all those who follow uh, any way but his. It is the destination and the destiny of perdition, hell, and everlasting torment. As Psalm 1 verse 6 says, the way of the wicked shall perish. But God's way in opposition is narrow, but it leads to eternal life, to everlasting heavenly fellowship with God, never being separated from Him, awakening in His likeness and all the glories of all that the soul could ever imagine and desire, his angels, his people, the things that he has prepared for those that he loves. Everlasting life is a quality of life, the life of God in the soul of man. Our Lord promised, in my Father's house are many mansions, plenty of room that on that, in that place that he's preparing. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Well, these are the very words of Christ.
This is not my opinion. This is Christ's opinion. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, or the way that you're on. And broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, real life, eternal life, Christ's life. But few there be that find it. I am glad to report to you tonight that all who will come to Christ may do so. And does he not so graciously say, Whosoever cometh to me, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. You wonder, do you not, why would someone not take him at his offer? Why would someone not go in? Oh, may the Lord give light and give understanding to his word tonight.